This is a Federal News Network podcast. You've still got a couple of days left to sign up for the Feds in Motion 2022 Challenge. It's a fundraiser by the Federal Employee Education and Assistance Fund. It only costs 39 bucks. For more and an update on FIA's Good Works, Acting Executive Director Robin Kehoe. Robin, good to have you on. Good morning, Tom. Thanks so much for having me. And tell us about the Feds in Motion Challenge. What do people have to do and what's involved here? So the cool thing about Feds in Motion is that it is a virtual event, which means people are joining us from all over the country. And we've even got some folks signed up from Puerto Rico and Germany. So it's really fun. Anybody can participate. And our challenge is for people to walk, run, bike, swim, or roll 36 miles over a 36-day period. And we chose 36 because this year is FIA's 36th anniversary. Wonderful. So the $39 then goes to your various causes. Yes, it supports the programs that FIA has for federal employees and their families. Emergency help when folks are having a tough time due to illness or injury, that sort of thing. We do disaster relief for feds. We have a scholarship program and tutoring for kids of feds. And getting back to the challenge itself, this is pretty much an honor system that people report. Is there a website? Yeah. How do you know so that they've done it? The, the site that we use is Run Sign Up. They host our challenge for us. And there is an easy way once you've registered to log your miles each day when you participate and you'll go in and put in what type of activity you did and how many miles. And so, yes, it is an honor system. We find that folks are generally pretty honest about that. Well, gee, I do a lot of five and six mile walks. I don't run quite as much as I used to, but I could probably get it done in a week. It's great. You can blast on past the 36 miles. We try to make it an attainable goal for anybody, even if they're not used to doing a lot of exercise. But we definitely had some folks last year who were logging hundreds of miles, you know, serious bike riders, cyclists, that kind of thing. And do you get some of the higher ups in the federal agencies or pretty much a fully a workers bee type of event? You know, it kind of has been a mixed bag. We get people from all levels. Last year, I think we actually had a couple of federal judges who participated. So it's a really fun event for anybody at any level of an agency and also to invite friends and family to join in as well. Yeah, we should at least get the Secretary of the Interior out there. I mean, they've got the Park Service, so that would be a good one to get in there. There you go. That would be great. And how many people do you expect to participate and what kind of fundraising will you yield there? So we have just had our 1300th person sign up just this morning. And last year we had a little over 1300 people and we raised about $95,000 for our program. So it's a really important event for us to be able to do what we do all year long. Yeah, that's a real chunk of change there. And you've got a lot of good sponsors too, don't you? We have terrific sponsors. The list is long, but our platinum sponsor is the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association Federal Employee Program, which has been a longtime supporter of FIA. And then we have some great silver sponsors in GEHA, the Senior Executive Association, and WEPA. So those are kind of our top sponsors. And Federal News Network is one of your media sponsors. Yes, and we're Federal proud News to Network that. is an important media sponsor. All right. We're speaking with Robin Kehoe, Acting Executive Director of the Federal Employees Education and Assistance Fund. And recently you put out a new annual report kind of summarizing all of the things that FIA has done. Give us a quick rundown there. 
So last year was a really exciting year for us because it was our 35th anniversary. I and mean, I think anybody knows that those the zeros and the fives are kind of important milestones where we look back over everything that we've done. And what we've realized is that, you know, FIA has served over 60,000 federal employees and their families in those 35 years. And last year and in the last couple of years, as we all have, we pivoted to help folks during the pandemic. And so one of the great things that we did was introduce a tutoring partnership that has allowed us to provide free tutoring for kids in grades K through 12 who have a federal employee parent. So that was a a new pandemic program that we're going to be continuing. We're really excited about that. What has the uptake been? How many people have been tutored? So in the beginning, during the height of the pandemic, we had over 5,000 people sign up. And this last year with kids back in school, people feeling a little bit less need, we had 500 people who actively used the program. So we think it's a good thing for kids who might need that extra bit of help from time to time. And on the educational elements beyond the tutoring, you also have a scholarship program too, correct? We do have a scholarship program. That's an annual program. It's a merit-based contest that we run every year, and we award a little over 200 scholarships a year to deserving students who can be federal employees themselves or the spouses or children of federal employees. And the assistance part of FIA, this is something I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand, but federal employees themselves are often affected by the disasters and occurrences for which they are helping the rest of the public, but they can be also affected loss of homes or inability to be in their homes for some temporary period. Tell us more about that end of things. Sure. So our disaster relief program provides helps to feds in exactly those circumstances. When there is a natural disaster that affects federal employees, damages their homes, causes them to have to evacuate, that sort of thing, we provide a bit of temporary relief in the form of a small grant to help folks while they're waiting for their insurance to come through, for FEMA to process an application, those sorts of things. But really the bread and butter part of our assistance program is our emergency hardship loans. And those are the when bad things happen to good people loans. That's how we like to think of them, that federal employees often have situations where they or a family member have a serious illness and they end up with leave without pay because they're recovering or taking care of someone else. We see people all the time who now have had issues with domestic violence or with having their identity stolen that causes a financial hardship. And so what we do is provide a short-term loan by paying one of their creditors. So we'll pay their rent or mortgage for a month. We'll pay their utilities for a month. And then the employee pays us back through payroll allotment, no fees, no interest added. It's really to just be a safety net and try to help people not have deeper financial woes from a short-term problem. And did the pandemic make this worse? Were there greater numbers of people that had, say, leave or medical situations in the past couple of years? So because of the additional special leave categories that there were during the pandemic for people with COVID-related illnesses, we actually saw a little bit less of that for a time. But we're definitely now with people getting back to work, getting back into offices, some of the things that they were maybe able to handle while they were working at home are definitely starting to cause problems again. And definitely the economy is 
a factor for feds as well. Sure. And we should not let you go without mentioning the annual Federal News Network Motorcycle Ride for Charity, of which FIA is one of the beneficiaries. And also you're our kind of administrative agent for collecting funds. That's coming up May 20th. I don't think we'll get 1,300 motorcycles like you're getting 1,300 people to participate in the uh, distance challenge. But we should have a pretty good year this year. It's a fun event, and I know that I've put in my order for good weather on that Friday, Tom. I, I hope you have as well. I sure have, yes. <laughs> Pretty much uh, weather drives everything on two, four wheels on foot, I guess, for that matter also. Robin Kehoe is Acting Executive Director of the Federal Employees Education and Assistance Fund. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Tom. We'll post this interview together with a link to sign up at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity, and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses, and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome, and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, The first person personally was my mom. Uh, She was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was a leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, She was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, We were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy while although we were the little guy. Uh, And then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, As part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, So that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader, that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also 
reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision? What are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit? And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we made our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay black women, uh, you know, there are not a lot of us, um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka. So I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a signal effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the, expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, 
Let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and oftentimes based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the the art of of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, And I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it, it, you were amazing. And it, it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.